we're so happy. I'm so looking forward to our friends this morning. Pastor Patrick, his wife and kids are here. We just have a great day. Uh, I think the Lord has orchestrated and uh, planned this for us. And um, it just so happens uh, he's got a bit of Irish. You know, and I try to speak a little, I didn't mess it up. But anyway, I get to talking. My mom was Irish. And uh, Copley, Copley was her maiden name. I asked Patrick. Patrick came from all the way from Ireland 18 years ago or so to move here to live with in Minnesota. Can you imagine that? Anyway, Copley, oh, yeah, he said, I think there's some some of those folks up north, Ireland, beef farmers. Beef farmers, farmer. there you go. So there you go, a little insight. Come on, Pastor Patrick, come on up here. Maybe you can introduce your family, you, however you want to do it. It's all yours. Good morning. My name is Kalina Stitt, and this is my husband, Patrick. Hello. And as you can see in the picture, we actually have five kids. Um, a couple of them are with us here today. Hi, my name is Jack, and I'm 15 years old. He's our oldest. And then in the picture, you can see our second one is the goofy one in the middle. He's Finian. He's 14. And our son, Levi, is 12. And this is Alethea. Do you want to say hi? Alethea is shy. And she's eight. And our youngest is Keila, and she's six. And we are missionaries to Japan. And you will be hearing from my Irish husband in a moment. Don't worry. He will take most of the service. Um, I'm afraid I'm just local, I'm from Minnesotan, so I don't have uh, an interesting accent to you guys. But um, I do want to share something with you today. I feel like this is really tall. Can I come out like over here? Can you still see me if I'm over here? Okay. I don't, I'm, I'm short, I don't feel like I can look over there. <laughs> um, but uh, today I just want to share with you a little bit about Japan. We're missionaries to Japan. Now, some of you might be thinking the kind of things that we were thinking when God first put Japan on our hearts, and that is... Why Japan? I mean, it's not the kind of country that you think about when you think of missions, right? Like, they don't need us to go over there and build them hospitals or orphanages or feed the poor or anything like that. This country is doing pretty well for themselves, right? I mean, we're talking about the country that invented robot nannies and car vending machines and uh, bullet trains that go the speed of airplanes. Like, they're a pretty wealthy nation. But how many of you know that material prosperity is not the same as spiritual prosperity? Yeah, you see, Japan calls itself the land of the rising sun, and yet they are in deep spiritual darkness. There are 127 million people in Japan, and less than 1% of them have heard the name of Jesus. This makes them the second least reached country in the world. And why? Why are there so few Christians in Japan for a nation that's doing so well for itself? Well, part of the problem is that for centuries, Japan was actually completely cut off from the rest of the world. They closed down their borders and did not let any foreigners in. And as a result of this, their culture grew up uniquely Japanese and resistant to foreign influence, particularly to foreign religions. 
And you see, that's the problem, is they look at Christianity as being a foreign religion. They are an Eastern country. They have Eastern traditions and their own Eastern religions. Christianity, they, they say, is a Western religion. It's for, great for the Europeans or for the Americans, but it's not Japanese, so it's not for the Japanese people. But can I tell you guys something? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a Western religion. It's not just for the Europeans and the Americans. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for every nation and every people on earth. It is Japanese, and it is for the Japanese people. And today I want to prove it to you. So I'm somewhat of a language nerd. Like, I love studying foreign languages. Anybody else here love to learn new vocabulary and talk about grammar? And no, everybody here is normal. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to give you a grammar lesson or anything. I want to show you something really cool that God has done in the Japanese language. So... After having studied a few languages, I've learned that some are easier to learn and some are harder. Japanese is one of the hard ones. Like, they have three different alphabets. Three. And you can't just pick one and say, well, I'll learn that one, and then I'll just use that one all the time. Oh, no, they put all three of them together in the same sentence. So you have to know all of them. And their oldest and most complicated alphabet is called kanji. I'm sure you guys have seen these before. It's those symbols, really complicated symbols that look like they have 36 strokes to them, right? Well, today I want to introduce you to a couple of these kanji because God has left his mark on them in a really unique way. So can we get that first uh, slide up? Yeah, thanks. So this symbol here is the Japanese verb to create. Now, what does it look like to us? Just a bunch of crisscrossy lines, right? But if we break it down into its individual parts, you can actually see a hidden meaning in this word. So let's break it down. The first part, uh, can we get the next slide? Yeah, the first part means dust. The second part is breath. The third part is alive. And the fourth part is to walk. Because God created man from the dust of the ground breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being and walked with God in the cool of the day. You see, this story, this, this um, does not match with Japanese mythology or with their creation story. This is God's creation story. Let me show you another one. So this symbol is the Japanese word for happiness, and this is also made up of four parts. The first part is the symbol for God. The second part is one, the third part, man, and the fourth part, a garden. Th their word for happiness harkens back to the time when one man was truly happy in the garden with God. Let me share one more with you. This complicated looking symbol is their word for righteousness. Now, how do you, you know, create a symbol that means righteousness? Well, these are the parts that they use. The first part is a human hand. The second part is a spear, and the third part, a lamb. Because how do we get our righteousness but by slaying the perfect lamb? You see, God has embedded his gospel message right into the most ancient, most traditional, most Japanese part of their culture, their language itself. Because he wants them to know that his salvation message is Japanese and it is for the Japanese people. This country has been a land of spiritual darkness for too long. Our family is, going, is moving to Japan to plant a church to spread the gospel in Japanese to the Japanese people so the land of the rising sun can become the land of the risen sun. Thank you.
Yeah. Oh, let's give him a high. How cool is our God, huh? How does something else? He, sometimes he's just showing off a little bit with our cool he is. I love that. Praise God. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Well, I'm, I'm so honored to be here, folks. Um, as, as, as you've heard, my name is Patrick Stitt. And, um, uh, yeah, do you know, it was, it was kind of funny because the intro, they said we can come down because it's, uh, it's sort of St. Patrick's Day weekend. And it was a bit of a shock to the system because I, I had to quickly look for something green. And, you know, because we're heading out as missionaries, we've been getting rid of all our stuff, our clothes and kitchen stuff and all different things. And so I, I, was, I, I, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I have nothing green. And I, I did find a pair of green and white and orange socks. Um, and I thought, it was a good job I found them because I'll never find anything in Cross Lake that's green. Oh, how wrong I was. I could have had the complete ensemble with a beer tie and a leprechaun hat. That's, I would have been well set if I just waited. My goodness, she has me well set up. So it's an honor to be here. I, I, I don't know, I have to do something Irish now. And then I'm a bit lost for that. So what, what can, I can do, I can sing a song or I can teach you some Gaelic. What sounds good? We'll do a, we'll do a song. All right. Um, all right. Well, do, do, this, is, this is one of my favorites. All right. Dear sir, I write this note to you to tell you of me plight. And at the time of writing, I'm not a pretty sight. Me body is all black and blue, me face a deathly grey. And I write this note to say why Paddy's not at work today. While working on the 14th floor, some bricks I had to clear. Now to throw them down from such a height was not a good idea. The foreman wasn't very pleased, he'd been an awkward sod. He said I'd have to carpen down the ladder in me hod. Well, clearing all these bricks by hand, it was so very slow. So I hoisted up a barrel and secured the rope below. But in me haste to do the job, I was too blind to see that a barrel full of building bricks was heavier than me. So when I untied the rope, the barrel fell like lead. But clinging tightly to the rope, I started up instead. While I shot up like a rocket, till to my dismay I found that halfway up I met the bloody barrel coming down. Well, the barrel broke me shoulders as to the ground it sped. And when I reached the top, I banged the pulley with me head. Still clinging tight, though numbed and shocked from this almighty blow. And the barrel spilled out all the bricks fourteen floors below. When the bricks had fallen from the barrel to the floor, I then outweighed the barrel and so started down once more. Still clinging tightly to the rope, I sped towards the ground, and I landed on the broken bricks that were all scattered round. I lay there groaning on the ground, I thought I'd pass the worst, till the barrel hit the pulley wheel and then the bottom burst. While a shower of bricks ran down on me, I hadn't got a hope, as I lay there groaning on the ground. I let go the bloody rope. Well the, <laughs> well, the barrel then being heavier, it started down once more and landed right across me as I lay upon the floor. Well, it broke three ribs and my left arm, and I can only say, I hope you'll understand why Paddy is not at work today. <laughs> hey, are. That's a nice Gaelic one. Um... You know, it's, it's, it is lovely to be here. You know, we've gone on such a wonderful journey growing up in Ireland. And we were in, my dad had a fantastic capacity to never be able to keep a job. So we moved all over from Ireland and England. and We got to travel a bunch. And uh, then the Lord took me over here to Minnesota, where um, yeah, I was at uh, Bethany College of Missions. And 
We were very blessed for our season there. We were two years. We served in uh, Moldova. We worked with uh, women who were victims of human trafficking. We pastored a church here in Minnesota. Now our latest adventure is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of Japan who've never heard his goodness. You know, I could talk all day about Japan and theology and all, and they're all wonderful stuff, and it's good to talk about. But why we do church, why we do missions, why we're here today, is because Jesus is so glorious. Isn't it? Just do you think about that? Everything we do, in every, it's just for the glory of Jesus because he's so wonderful. He's so precious. And you just think, do you ever just think about that, how good it is to have Jesus? Aren't we so privileged as Christians that we get to, you just get to wake up every day and you get to know this glorious truth. God loves me. He's got a plan for me today. I've got the spirit in my life. My sins are forgiven. I might have done this yesterday, but your mercies are new every morning, Lord. It's a new day. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Woo! It's so good to have Jesus in our heart, just to live every day with that goodness and that glory. Uh, brothers and sisters, I used to not be a Christian. That sucked. Worst decision I ever made, never doing that again. I'll tell you that. It was so dumb. But it's so good now to live in the goodness and the glory and the preciousness of our God. That's why we do it. We want to just pour out this good, glorious message to the world. I just want to know him more and share him more because he's so wonderful. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, I just thought about how good he was. Has, has anyone ever, like, had a bit of a geeky fantasy where you've thought, how cool would it be to time travel and hang out with Jesus? Anyone ever thought about that at all? No one? Okay, it's a good normal church here. But I just thought about, wouldn't it be great just to all jump into that DeLorean or something and, you know, go back 2,000 years ago and could you imagine getting out and there's Jesus himself and you'd be like, oh, this you're so cool. You're so wonderful. I love you so much. And I would just love just a couple hours hanging out with Jesus. And I, I have so many good questions for him. Like, oh, Lord, Lord, what's, what's, what's the Father like? What's, what's heaven like? C could you please tell me every single decision I'm supposed to make for the rest of my life, please? A couple of lottery numbers would be good too. I promise I'm going to tithe. But it would be so good and so great to just be in the presence of Jesus. But what was so funny as I was processing this idea was I noticed, and you might have noticed this too in the New Testament, that the people who were in the very presence of Jesus didn't get how precious it was. Did you ever read that in the New Testament? You know, people would be like, you know, um, Jesus, Jesus, um, that guy over there, um, he didn't wash his hands properly. You, would you like me to go smite him? Or, Jesus, Jesus, um, you heal that guy over there, but it's the wrong day. You need to go make him sick again. We'll come back tomorrow. Do you ever, you read this and you're like, really? Really? I mean, come on, people. You're standing in the presence of, of the Messiah here, the Holy High King of Heaven and all his glorious beauty, and you want to have a moan about hand washing. Really? And so in the midst of this, those in the very presence of Jesus not getting the preciousness of it, our Lord plans a mission trip. Now, has anyone here ever done a mission trip at all? National, international? Oh, good, oh, good few of you have, absolutely. And when you've done one of those, it kind of changes you a little bit. 
Because you take what you might have in abundance, the love of God and resources, and you give them to those who are, 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 need them, and you see how glad and how blessed and how wonderful they, they, ha- they take what we take for granted like it's the most glorious gift in the world. And that changes you in some ways. And so our blessed Lord plans a mission trip for his disciples. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to read from Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, we're going to read in verse 21. So our blessed Lord, he does his mission trip. So he he gets his disciples together. He gets some matching t-shirts, some anti-diarrhea medicine, some BBS equipment, and said, all right, guys, we're going to go on a mission trip. And so it starts, the mission trip starts here in verse 21 of Matthew 15. And it starts with this great phrase. It says, leaving that place. Leaving, everyone say leaving that place. Leaving that place. It says Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now I want to break this down a little bit here. Jesus is Israeli. Okay, he's a good Jewish boy, right? And he was raised in Israel, and it's his language, and you know, his mom and daddy, his aunts and uncles, or his Israeli, he likes his matzo ball soup, you know, he likes the, the fish the way mama cooks it. His culture, his comfort zone is being in Israel. He's the Jewish Messiah. But he steps out of Israel into the region of Tyre and Sidon with all of its idolatry and, and paganism and child sacrifice. And he steps out of where he is comfortable and into where he is needed. How many of you all know God's calling over your life is never going to be in your comfort zone? To find where you're supposed to be serving, you've got to leave this place. So, now as soon as Jesus steps across the border, he goes from the region of Tyre and Sidon, it says a woman from that vicinity, in verse 22, comes running out to him crying, Lord, 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 please, please, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter, she's demon-possessed and she's suffering terribly. Right away, as soon as Jesus steps across the border, he is hit with spiritual starvation. Here is this Canaanite woman crying out in desperation, help me Jesus, help me Jesus, help me Jesus. This woman, she's got no Bible. She's got no um, community. She's got no hope. She's got no faith. She's got no Jesus. And here she is crying out how the devil's just destroying her life and destroying her family and everything in it. And so here this, we have this woman who is spiritually starving. Now, our Lord is working with this woman, but also he is working with the 12 apostles. Now, these brothers have got spiritual abundance, okay? They're blessed. They've got good old, you know, they've got sections of the scripture memorized. They've got lovely temples and synagogues and rabbis and Pharisees and uh, prophets. And they've got good Jewish mamas and good Jewish daddies and good Jewish tradition. You know, these guys, and more than anything, they're standing in the very presence of the Holy One Himself, the High King of Heaven, Jesus Christ. They've got spiritual abundance. Now here's the thing, abundance is good. Abundance is a blessing from the Lord. The Lord said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the thing with abundance is, you got to pour it out. If you've got abundance, it's because God has called you to go and transform the world around you. He's called you to take that abundance and use it to make his kingdom move in the nations. But what's really interesting 
is you'll find that the disciples did a lot more complaining than transforming. You ever, ever read that in the New Testament? You know, well, the pagans over there, you know, the uncircumcised, we don't associate with people like that. Have you seen the things that they eat? Oh, turn your stomach. No wonder their lives are such a mess. That's what happens when you don't follow God. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time, my mother always said. And they love to have a good moan about all the state of the world and all the terrible things that everyone was doing wrong. And I shouldn't get too harsh about this point myself because I'm going to be honest with you. I love a good complaint myself. I mean, that's the Irish culture side of me right there. And, and I'm a preacher. So when I complain, oh, I make my complaints holy before the Lord. I, oh, I bring the thunder. Have you seen the state of the world today? Look at what kids to be watching on television these days. Wasn't like that when I was a child. I'll tell you that right now. Did you see what they did up in Washington, D.C. the other day? Oh, come Lord Jesus soon because the world's gone to hell. Whew. Yeah, I get a little holy shiver when I give it one of those, you know, I'm like, oh, God is so lucky to have me to point out all the sin in the world. What would you do without me? But we are not called to be complainers. We are called to be transformers. We are not here to moan about sin. We are bringers of righteousness. We don't need to curse the dark. We need to bring the light. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's bring it. All right. See, there's a power in this right here where there's something that becomes in our hearts sometimes with spiritual abundance in the face of spiritual starvation. And I think our Lord is trying to basically do a heart change with the disciples, with the church, in the face of this starving woman. It's a little bit like um, parents. Have you ever had the Africa fantasy? Let me, let me break that down for you. Have you ever been dealing with one of your darling little children who's been given a bit of a... And you're like, I would love to ship you to a little village in Botswana. Oh, oh, you don't like my cooking? Go to a little Botswana, boy. He wasn't eaten in a couple of days. Oh, you don't want to live here anymore? Really, really? Go to a little Botswana, boy, who lives in a hut of mud and dung. Parents, we have the Botswana fancy? Yep, a little bit, a little bit. And what we mean in that moment is we're saying to our kids, you are blessed. You have abundance in a hungry world. Sacrifices have been made, so you have the things that you have. I want you to take that blessing. I want you to go out there in the world and do something about it. That's a good message. It's a powerful message. And it's one that our Lord, I think, is bringing to his disciples in this moment. So let's keep crying out. You've got, so let's set the scene again. The disciples are over here, and you've got the Jesus, and this the Canaanite woman's crying out, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And you think, okay, Christ is about to do something amazing. And as she's crying out, it says, Jesus did not answer a word. Jesus did not answer a word. It says that Jesus was silent. And we're back to the other verse, verse 23 there. And it's, and I, this is, I rack my brains on this. Why is Jesus silent? You know, I think it's because he was waiting for the church to move. I think he was waiting for the disciples to do something. In fact, because I think it was his moment like, okay guys, you got this. You know how to do this. You've seen me move. Go take a moment. But instead what the disciples do, they have a complaint about the state of the world. Oh, oh, Lord, Lord. Oh, send her away. Send her away. Oh, that pagan woman over there. Oh, the state of her. Oh, yes. Oh, she keeps calling out after us. I love the disciples thought the woman was calling out after them. 
It's like, dude, not whatever. Okay, she didn't want some second-rate disciple, okay? She was calling it after Jesus. Sit down and shut up, Peter. But this silence of the Lord really gets to me. And I think sometimes people say, why is God silence? I think the answer is, why is the church silence? You know, there's times in my life where God has said, like, okay, I want you, go, go speak to that person. Go, go be my prayer. Go be my word. Go be my wallet. Go be my hug. And I've responded to God with, not right now. It's going to be super awkward. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be one of those weird Christians. And yeah, I don't have much money right now. And, oh, and this is probably just my flesh talking, not my spirits, because the flesh is always telling you to go evangelize. Um, but I think fundamentally what this all comes down to is I've forgotten how precious this good news is to those who are perishing. Sometimes I forget how desperate the world is to hear the truth about the love and salvation of our God. You know, I, I used to be a teacher in the inner city in, in St. Paul, and I, I worked with kids I had kind of an interesting program. And one kid in my class, Darnell, and he, he was a great lad, very hard worker, very, very polite, from a big old family, 11 kids or something. And they lived in this tiny little two-bedroom apartment, and they were about to get evicted. And so a ton of people said, well, this is terrible. Let's help this family. So they were trying to get money for rent, and they were trying to get uh, landlords and charities and different groups and social workers to help this family out. And as we're working so hard and giving away all our weekends, as all this work is happening, the next Monday morning, Darnell, the little Canaanite, walked into my classroom with the biggest, ugliest tattoo all up in his forearm. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm not against tattoos, but I'm really against big, ugly, expensive tattoos when your family doesn't have enough money for rent and food. I went Old Testament judgment on that kid. What is wrong with you? You're so stinking stupid and you're wasting all this money on that tattoo. It's ugly in the first place. Now you won't be able to get a job and your family's no money to eat. You don't even, you're so stupid and you're, I'm getting red in the face. I'm spitting nails. This kid is so stupid, stupid, stupid. And I'm yelling at him and I say, and who never taught you about money? And who never taught you how to budget? And the sweet, gentle voice of the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, you didn't, Patrick. You didn't teach him how to budget. Yeah, I went very New Testament mercy very quickly, brothers and sisters. Because here I was, judging a kid for not having knowledge I was called to give him. I was judging him for not having what I was called to give him. You see, when we're complaining Christians more than transforming Christians, all we're doing is judging the world for not having what we were called to give him. This is why we poured out, poured out, poured out. So as this woman in desperation for the good news is crying out, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, uh, Jesus looks to her and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But I love this woman's determination. I love her fire. It says she comes and she kneels down before the Lord. She like gets in, she grabs hold, and she is just crying out, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And our blessed Lord looks at this woman in desperation and says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now that's a hard word, right? You gotta double take that was our Jesus who said that. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, 
but the preacher spoke to me like that, I'd be offended, right? Oh, my dog now. We're making personal comments. You're going to get nasty about it? Well, you know what? Screw you. And you're, I would be done. You ever talk to me like that? But I would be so offended. I'd teach him a couple of Gaelic words. Um, but I want to tell you something today, brothers and sisters. You can only be offended when you have abundance. Let me break that down for you a little bit. Have you ever worked for a jerk? Don't amen that. Um, I used to work in this factory, and our job was just to get as many boxes on a pallet as we could. And I, they told me one way, psh, I figured out a better way. I could get so many boxes on there, they were flush, the barcodes were all just, it was a feat of engineering like the pyramids, brothers and sisters. I was doing a great job. But as I'm doing my great job, the boss comes on and is like, hey, what are you doing them that way for? I told him to do it a different way. Well, if I do them a different way, we don't get as many on there, they're not as stable. You're not here to give your opinion, you're here to do what I say, so do them the right way. Fine. I'll do them the wrong way. And as I'm doing the boxes the wrong way, I start to have the quitting fantasy. Now you all know the quitting fantasy. One day I'll quit your stupid factory with your stupid boxes. And then your factory will close down. You'll be like, oh, we shouldn't have fired Patrick. Yeah, well, screw you, losers. Too late now. You know, we've all been there. But here's the thing. I didn't quit my job that day because I didn't have another job to go to. I didn't have the abundance necessary to be offended, so I shut my mouth and I went back to work. You see, you can only be offended when you've got some options. I'm going to break this down a little bit. I think that's why in America, we've become a very offended people, right? Because we got so much stuff. We can afford to be offended about everything. Y'all know that person's like, I'm boycotting that kind of beans. I'm boycotting that TV show. Really? There's like 30 varieties of beans on that shelf, and you've got 200 channels at home. That's not even a boycott. That's not a thing. That's just a preference, okay? You can afford that pretty easy. And I'm a little tough here for a second. Christians can be the worst at this. We really can. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going to speak into this here. And pastors know we, we have lost so many pastors in this season because of people getting offended about the stupidest things. You know, we're hearing it all the time. Like people say, I can't believe the pastor makes me wear a mask. I can't believe he doesn't make me wear a mask. I can't believe he doesn't bow down and worship my political party. I can't believe he painted the bathrooms a color that I don't like. Right? Yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's nice being a visiting preacher. You can get, get away with a little more. But this, this blows my mind. Christians getting offended about the stupidest things in this world. When did we give up the words of eternal life for a lie? When did we forget that we have the greatest news in the entire world? That's the thing that matters and brings us together. But we get so, and, and part of it is, I think it's because we got a lot of churches. Have you noticed that? Minnesota, we, we got plenty of buildings. Minnesota is over church but underreached. We get a whole lot of Christian communities and Christian bumper stickers and Christian radio stations and Christian stuff. But we don't have a lot of Christians who are leaving their place and pouring out this precious, glorious gospel to those that are perishing. And, and, and we get confused with that. Because economic theory tells us if there's a lot of something, if there's a big old pile of something, it's not worth much. But if something is rare, it must be worth a lot. And, and so sometimes we think, well, we got a whole lot of churches, so maybe the gospel is of very little value. And we feel, you've got Christians getting mad at all the churches and bouncing around, getting mad at this one, mad at that one, bouncing from church to church like a pinball till they just eventually stay home and watch Joe Lowstein in their jammies. Don't get offended. All right. <laughs> 
it might have happened to you. Have you ever gone out for dinner with somebody and they've ordered a big old plate of oysters? Mmm, oysters. And you'll pay $100 for a big plate of oysters served on ice with a slice of lemon. And they'll pick up their $15 oyster and be like, oh, that was so good, well worth the money. And they seem to have forgotten. They're sucking cold, salty snot out of a dirty rock and paying $15 for the privilege. Right? It's rare. It must be good. <laughs> I'll have some chicken and mashed potato, please, for $5. Yeah, it might be abundant, but it's good. If you take away anything I say today, take away this. Let's not confuse the abundance of churches with the preciousness of the gospel. I want you to know right now, every single empty seat in this place represents someone right here in Cross Lake who is desperate to know God loves you. Who is desperate to know your sins have been forgiven, God's going to give you a new start. Desperate to know the Holy Spirit is going to heal your body, mind, and soul. Every occupied seat in here is God's answer to that. That's tough. But can I, tell, can I, I prophesy for a minute? We're entering into a season of revival. That, that was worth an amen right there. We're entering into a season of revival. Amen. It's coming. But can I tell you what I think is happening? I think we're going to see revival like we've never seen before. Because in the past, you can like, you, we've had celebrity revivals. You could point to a Billy Graham or a John Wesley or a Semple McPherson filling up a stadium. But I think the next revival is going to happen in coffee shops. It's going to happen in living rooms. It's going to happen in car rides. It's going to be relationship revival. Where simple Christians are going to just be friends with one another. And do you know how we're going to preach? We're going to listen. We're going to listen to people, hear what's happening in their heart. And you don't have to know everything, but you can just say, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're going through, and I don't have all the answers, but can I tell you what Jesus did for me? We're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's evangelism. I don't, I don't know everything, but can I pray for you? Oh, that's evangelism. Fervent and effectual prayers availeth much. Hey, can I... Can I watch your kids for a couple hours so you can get a bit of rest? And I'm going to pick you up later and bring you to church. pastor's going to speak on something that's really going to bless you. They're going to know we're Christians by our love. That's evangelism. The next wave of evangelism will be evangelism through relationship. How many are sick of celebrity culture? Yeah, amen. But how many are crying out for life-giving, authentic relationships? That's the new wave of evangelism. People are hungry for it. You know, brothers and sisters, this Canaanite woman, she could have been so offended. I'll screw you and your disciples. I'm out of here and I'm never coming back. I'm going back to idolatry. But, but if I leave, where else am I going to go? Because I've tried worshiping idols, I've tried sacrificing, I've tried every stupid thing under the sun, and still the devil is destroying my family. You know what? Maybe I'm a dog. Maybe I'm totally broken right now, but I am so, I am so starved for hope. I am so starved for forgiveness. I'm so starved for life. I've tried everything, and all I've learned is that there's one name under heaven by which men must be saved. There is one blood for the remission of sins. There is one power that makes the demons quake 
quake and shake in fear. And his name is Jesus and it's found in no other. So even though I'm broken, I'm hurt and I'm offended, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And this Canaanite woman, this pagan, broken woman, looks up to our blessed Lord in tears in her eyes and says to him, Yes, it is, Lord. Yes, it is, Lord. But even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This woman looks up to Jesus and says, I know I'm not worthy. I know you know what if you want. Give the disciples all the good stuff, all the good churches, all the good jobs, all the preachers and Bibles and everything that is good. But if you can say for me one crumb, Lord Jesus, if I can get, I have eaten loaf after loaf of worldly bread and I am so hungry right now. And if I could get one crumb of life-giving bread, I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm a dog, but I've got a devil to fight and I'd sooner fight that devil like a starving dog than one of your chubby children over there. So bless them all you want to, Lord, but save for me a crumb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now that, there's a power right here. This woman is coming up to Jesus in spiritual starvation and declaring to him, one crumb of your life-giving bread is going to heal my whole family. One mustard seed of faith is going to move an entire mountain. One word from your throne is going to change an eternal destiny. Lord Jesus, give to me a crumb. You know, there weren't many people that stopped Jesus in his tracks. And here is a broken, pagan, Gentile woman. And he looks to her. Who's Jesus, who's been surrounded by church people and disciples for so many years, looks to this person and says, Woman, you have great faith. That's exactly it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what I've been trying to get these dozen dozy disciples to get for all these years now. You get the power of a crumb. You get the power of a mustard seed. You get the power of an act of love, the act of prayer, the act of my word. You understand what it is like to hunger and thirst for righteousness and that alone. And her request was granted. Her daughter was healed at that moment. Brothers and sisters, there's a power in the crumb. There's a power in the crumb in this starving world. There's a power in an act of love. There is a power in a prayer. There is a power in the Word of God. There is power in evangelism and generosity and goodness in this place. And we need to start to believe again in the power of a crumb. You know, the devil is so good at getting us to like think what we have isn't good enough for serving God. You know, it's, it's a little bit like Sometimes I just, I've said to God, you know, God, I can't do that. I don't know Bible well enough. I'm not very good at praying and I don't have enough money. And I'm always telling God what I don't have. It's a little bit like, have you ever cooked for your family a meal? Not, not just a meal, a feast. And it is, oh, it's delicious. It's nutritious. It is visually sumptuous. You don't want them to eat it. You want to coat it in lacquer so you can get it for the cover of a magazine. It is just that good. And as you sit down to enjoy the fruits of your blood, sweat, and tears, one of your darling little children looks at it and says, I don't like it. I want mac and cheese. And as you're Googling the cost of a flight to Botswana, at your feet, there's a dog 
and the dog is looking up at you with big wet eyes and tongue dangling out of its mouth in joyful anticipation, tail bouncing off the floor, and it's saying in dog language, oh, I love your cooking so much. Everything you make, absolutely delicious. And if I could just get one little thing, one little, little crumb, even if it's been on the floor, I'm going to be such a good boy. I'm going to love you so much. You see, sometimes we can see God more clearly as a dog on the floor than a child at the table. Because I've been that kid who God has put before me a, a table of spiritual blessings and power, and I've said to God, why don't you give me this one? What if the church for one generation says, you know what, maybe I don't have a lot of no Bible knowledge, but I can sing. Can I use it for your glory? I'm not much of a preacher, but I'm a great teacher. Can I use it for your glory? I don't often have the right words, but I'm a really good friend. Can I use it for your glory? I don't have a lot of time, but I got some money. Can I use it for your glory? Uh, Lord God, I I'm not good with words, but I'm good with my hands. Can I use it for your glory? And the whole church for a generation believed in the power of a crumb, the power of a word, and a gift and a prayer and an offering, we would see revival like we've never seen before. There is a glory and a power in the crumb. We are, we're missionaries to Japan. Um, we got an Osaka picture up there. And uh, we wanted to let you guys know, we are going to be planting the first church in Japan in 30 years. 30 years since they've had a new church. This, this is Osaka. It's a lot like Cross Lake. Um, it's, you right now are looking at the highest concentration of unreached people on planet Earth. 20 million people, zero Assembly of God missionaries. There's a few, there's some other denominations, but we estimate for every evangelical church or missionary, there are nearly three quarters of a million people each who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. One group has got to reach three quarters of a million people. But can I tell you what's such wonderful news? The people of Japan are so hungry for the good news of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is pour it out. They're going through a season. They, they have the highest suicide rate in the world, particularly among children. Since COVID, it's gone up about 70%, 7-0. I could preach a whole sermon on that because it's to do with idolatry and spiritual oppression. I don't want to spend my time preaching on sin. I want to spend my time preaching on God's glory. Because we've got this opportunity in a season where the people are broken and crying out for Jesus, we get to pour it out. Now, I get to tell, I want to tell you, I have the funnest job in the entire world because I get to share the good news of the gospel with people who know nothing. Oh, it's so fun. We were there Christmas time. And, um, you know, the Japanese, they have Christmas, Christmasu. They have Santa Claus. They have trees. Uh, they do presents. They don't have um, turkeys, but they do KFC Christmas buckets, which I personally think is an improvement. Um, but they have no Jesus. Isn't that crazy? We were able to export the presents and the trees and the Santa, but not the reason for the season. And so as they're talking about all the presents they got, I asked this crowd of Japanese people, do you guys know what happened at Christmas time? And one of them goes, um, ooh, Santa Claus's birthday. Uh, no, not quite. It was actually Jesus' birthday. And they go, oh, okay, that's cool. One guy asked me, how old is Jesus now? Well, how old do you think he is? He's getting pretty old, right? He was around in the, in, in the 50s. He lives out in California. He's not the Beverly Hillbillies, dude. Um, hey, would it be cool if I 
shared the Christmas story with you? And they said, please, please do. Now, how many have heard the Christmas story a thousand times? Yep, you all know that it's kind of lost value a little bit. I, I almost read it in Christmas program voice of little kid going, and then the angel went to Mary and said, and that's, I've heard it so much like that. But for these people, spiritually starving, heard for the first time in their life that the God of gods and the King of kings left the glory and the palaces and the worship of heaven to be born in a barn and sleep in an animal's feeding trough. They said, Honto des, God? Is this the truth? Honto des. This is true. This is true. In fact, in fact, I was started to read it. I read in, in Luke 2, verses 1 and 2, in those days Caesar Augustus called for a census to be taken of the whole Roman world when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Joseph uh, took his betrothed Mary from Bethlehem to Nazareth. And they said, stop, 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 stop. Tell us the God story. I said, this is the God story. They said, no, 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 no. Tell us the God story. I said, this is the God story. And they said, no, it isn't. This is a history story. Because Augustus was real. And Caesar is real, and Roman Empire is real, and Syria and Bethlehem, all those places are real. Tell us a God story. Do you know what I realized? Every story they'd heard about God began with once upon a time in a land far, far away. To them, God was mythology and fairy tale. And here for the first time in their life, they were hearing, no, God is history. God is fact. We beheld him, we touched him, we heard him, and he actually rose from the dead. And they say, Honto deska, is this the truth? Honto des, this is true, this is true. Tell us some more, tell us some more. And they talk more about Jesus and tell me this and tell me this. And in Japan, it's very rude to say I or me. But in moments of spiritual desperation, they cry out and they say, wait, wait, wait. You're telling God loves me? Watashi wa deska, me? God loves you. Wait, wait, he died for my sins? My sins? Even the really bad ones? He loves, it's true, honto des, honto des. And they're so blown away and they're so transformed. There's one young Japanese lady comes up to me, we were talking, that said, Jesus said, I'm going to put a wellspring of living water within your heart. And this young lady comes up to me and says, in the voice of a Canaanite woman, can I have the wellspring? Because my, my heart's so dry. There's nothing in there, and I really, really, really need this eternal wellspring. And I said, all you need to do is pray. And she said, okay. And she runs out of the room. And she comes back in, looking all sad and dejected, and said, well, I prayed, and nothing happened, so I guess it wasn't for me. I said, I guess you're right. I didn't say that. Come on. I said, Can my, do you mind me asking how you prayed? And she said, well, I prayed like this. I said, I want you instead to raise up holy hands. I want you instead to turn your face up to heaven. I want you to, in your heart, approach the throne of grace that come. I want you to see God in your mind's eye. And most importantly of all, I want you to cry out loud that you want the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And she goes, okay. And she runs out of the room again and comes back in with tears in her eyes and joy in her heart. And she's jumping, saying, I got it. I got it. I feel his love. I feel his salvation. I have his spirit. And then she says, and I'm going to keep him forever. <laughs> and it was such a moment. And that was, come on, high five. And the missionaries and the angels were singing. And there was celebration in heaven. It was so good. But at that moment, what, how did I know what to say at that moment? Because the Bible says we declare with our mouths and we believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord. 
That wasn't a master's degree of biblical theology. That was just a crumb poured out that which was precious to those who are perishing. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to finish up on this. As Pastor Gary said today, the Bible says in Psalm 2.8, Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. God said, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. Well, this morning, as a church, we want to come together and say, Lord, we want Japan. Lord, we want Cross Lake. Not for ourselves, so that we can pour some love on it. We can pour some worship on it. We can pour some Bible on it. We can pour some friendship on it. We can pour some goodness on it, so people will know the goodness and salvation of our God. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us one day, one great and glorious day, in Revelation 7-9, it says that one day there'll be a crowd from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, and they'll be wearing white robes and waving their palm branches and singing out in one glorious voice, salvation belongs to our God and He who sits upon the throne. Woo, what a day that will be. They'll be singing in Gaelic. They'll be singing in Russian. And they'll be singing in Japanese. But on that day, we don't want the voice of Japan to be a quiet voice. Of less than a quarter of a percent weekly singing out, salvation belongs to our God. We want the voice of Japan to be a voice 100 million strong, crying out in revival, poured out love of God. Salvation belongs to our God. Japan belongs to our God. Brothers and sisters, that day is coming soon. It's coming far faster than we think, and we've got a little opportunity to pour out that which is precious to those who are perishing. We've got a moment to pour out because on that day, we want to come before the Lord and say, Lord God, Here's Cross Lake. We're giving it to you. We poured our spirit upon it. And now it's going to sing your praises forever and ever and ever. Lord God, here's my family. Here's, here's Japan. Here's my heart. We poured out upon it, Lord. And now it's yours forever and ever. And in that good and glorious moment, we'll sing in one great and unified voice the things that the Lord has done for us. And we'll be so blessed. We were so blessed for how much we poured out so people would know the goodness and salvation of our God. And we will be able to say of Japan, it is no longer the land of the rising sun, but the land of the risen sun forever and ever and ever. Amen.